Good morning. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, the luckiest man alive. Also, I really, really, really need a haircut like a lot of men these days. Did y'all see JT Haynes on the worship team? Uh, I didn't even know the guy had curly hair. Uh, if his hair keeps going, y'all, I, I, I will pay him money just to let it go and see how, how what his hairdo does. Uh, mine just gets taller and taller and taller, but surely there's a haircut in my near future. I, I won't let my wife do it. I love Casey more than anything, but I just, I know in advance I'd have to forgive her for whatever she would do to my head. And so I'm just going to wait this thing out like a lot of you, but, but uh, we, will, we will wait. We're going through the book of Exodus verse by verse in a sermon series entitled Exit Right. And I want us to jump right in today. Uh, it is Mother's Day. I want to say good morning to my mother. Mom, I love you so much. You are the most loving and generous woman that I will ever know. And I thank you so much for loving uh, and being so generous in in everything to me. Uh, God bless you today. Happy Mother's Day. My heart is heavy today, though, for uh, those people, uh, all of you who might be in the sound of my voice, who really, really need this message today. Remember that the word exodus means the road out. And some of you, I have a feeling, are, are desperately looking for a road out, a, a way out of your present situation. You need deliverance in the most serious kind of way. And I, and I want you to listen to this whole sermon. Stay with me all the way to the end because this is a word for you today. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 is where we are beginning today. Verses 1 through 12 is where we will be. Moses has been before God at the burning bush. By the time we get to chapter 5, Moses and Aaron have already gone to the elders of Israel and explained that they have come in the name of the Lord God to set them free. And that went well. So now on a roll, Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh for the next presentation. It doesn't go so well. Pick up with me in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. This is how the story goes. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. So the slave drivers and foremen went out and told the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. 
So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use as straw. Stop there. The uh, sermon today is entitled From Bad to Worse. Bad to Worse. You know, there's a part of me and maybe a part of you that thinks, you know, we could make this whole story shorter and easier. As in, you know, why don't the people just leave? I mean, just leave. If the word exodus means road out, find the road out, leave. By careful scholars' estimates, there are upwards of two million Israelites in Egypt. Two million. There are two million slaves, which means there are enough of them where if every single one of them walked toward the door, I don't think anything could stop them. Why don't they just leave? Pharaoh and his armies can't even stop two million people who really, really want to go. I mean, for the life of me, why don't they just leave? Well, because that's not how bondage works. I told y'all uh, about the guinea pig we used to have. Um, man, I, mean, I, I, mean, I know what they call him pig, man. That thing smells so bad. Um, but we loved him. His name was Charlie. He lived forever. Um, he got about this big round, and we had a cage about this big. The cage was, you know, plenty big for him, but the older Charlie got, the less walking around he did. And finally, he just literally sat in one big lump in the middle of his cage. He just sat in one spot. I worried about him. I thought, you know, what a sad life, because Charlie really never wanders about the cage, and, and plus he was kind of packing on weight. And so I went to Petco, and I got what they call a runabout. It is a clear plastic, you know, acrylic uh, sphere about the size of a beach ball. It's for a guinea pig, right? It's got this little trap door. You open it up, you, you insert the guinea pig, seal it back up, and then, you know, he can, he can frolic. He can run with freedom and safety throughout the house, anywhere you put him. He can just roll around in the ball. I mean, I thought Charlie is going to be the happiest guinea pig on earth. So I brought the runabout home. I showed it to Charlie. I took him out of his cage. I opened the trap door. I, I plopped Charlie inside. I sealed up the door. I put him in the middle of the floor. I mean, now our guinea pig has absolute run of the house. I sat back to watch. Guess what I watched? Nothing. Charlie just sat in the ball. He just sat in the very bottom of that ball. He just sat in the ball like he sat in his cage. So I understand, you know, Charlie doesn't understand how the runabout works, so I kind of gave it, you know, a little nudge. I rocked it a little. Charlie just kind of rode that out, did not move, did not even attempt to take a single step. So I, I kind of nudged it more. It kind of rolled it up a little bit, you know, where Charlie kind of goes up on the side, but that guinea pig just rode it out, you know, just rode it out, settled back in. I mean, he never, ever moved. So at this time, I'm thinking, you know, if you're not going to move yourself, I will move you. So I rolled him. I rolled the ball across the living room floor, and Charlie's just like, woo, 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 woo. He rode it out. That guinea pig never, ever even tried to move. I mean, if he'd have moved a little bit, he'd have perhaps gotten captured in the momentum and the fun of it all, but not Charlie, not our guinea pig. So I thought, my goodness, I, I can't even help this animal. So finally, I took him out of the runabout. I put him in the middle of the empty floor. It's like, Charlie, look, go, be free, run, walk, roll over, do something. But you know what that guinea pig did? He sat in one spot. 
I walked away. I left him there. I mean, he's not still there, y'all. I mean, he is with Jesus now. But I'm telling you, he sat there for most of the day. That guinea pig never going to run away. I mean, turns out we don't even need a cage for this animal because here's the thing. After being in a cage so long, eventually I think the cage was in Charlie. Understand, he was a total captive. He never crossed his mind anymore to try to move, to try to take a step. He had nowhere to go. You understand? Inside the cage, outside the cage, that animal was caged. Total captive. Now, some of you, some of you know how bondage works. I mean, some of us say, why don't the Israelites just leave? I mean, they're slaves. Why don't they just set themselves free? Two million of them. Why don't they just walk out? Honestly, it's, it's the same reason that the wife with the abusive husband doesn't just walk out. It, it's the same reason why the man addicted to alcohol doesn't just stop drinking. It's the reason why you can't just tell a depressed person to perk up. It's the reason why you can't just tell a person battling anxiety, you know, to not, to not act so weird. I mean, you may one day find yourself in a situation, in a habit that you continue to return to, a habit that you know will de- destroy you, maybe even end your life, but you continue to go back, you continue to go back, and you will discover how bondage works. You don't understand what I'm saying? Do you know how bondage works? Here's the thing. The, the deliverance is hard work. It's, it's an amazing understatement. The, the deliverance is hard work. And by that I mean t- to be delivered is hard work. But by the time we meet the Israelites in the book of Exodus, they've been slaves for generations, like 400 years which means everybody alive, every slave in Egypt, every Israelite, man, woman, boy, or girl, slavery is all they've known. Bondage is the only thing they've ever known. So it seems normal. It it, it just seems normal. It it is normal. For that matter, they've simply grown up with the gods and the goddesses and and all of the weird religion of the ancient Egyptians, and for them, that's normal. The the memory of the God of their ancestors would be just a very, very faint memory that was a long, long time ago, and nobody's heard from that God in years. You understand how bondage works? Understand the hard work that deliverance is? I mean, we say just leave, just walk out, but just, you know, where would they go? Where did two million people just walk off to? And they have nothing. Everything they have is in Egypt. And if they walk out, they've got nothing. They got no resources. They wouldn't have what they would need to get through day one, not to mention what they would need to start a whole new life. Do you understand how bondage works? Do you understand the hard work of deliverance? If it were easy, they'd have been gone a long time ago. Do you understand? If deliverance were something that they could possibly grasp, they would have grasped it. If self-deliverance were possible, they'd have been gone a long, long time ago. Do you understand? It is not possible for them to deliver themselves. That's why they need a deliverer. 
So, chapter 5, verse 1, in walks the deliverer. His name is Moses. He walks up to Pharaoh because this is what the Lord God told him to do. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. So that's what Moses does. In the speech, he got straight from the mouth of God. He walks right into Pharaoh's court, looks him straight in the eye and says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't even look up. Pharaoh's checking his text messages on his phone. He never even looks up. He just sort of gives Moses the side eye and says, who, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? Those happen to be excellent questions. Pharaoh asks the right questions. Problem is, he doesn't really want to know. If he would ask these questions with any level of seriousness, but he's not serious. Who is the Lord, Pharaoh says, and, and, and why should I listen to him? I don't know him, and I won't be letting any people go. Who, who, who is the Lord? You probably should know that in, in, in Pharaoh's day in ancient Egypt, as I've already told you, Pharaoh was considered a god. He was held to have sacred status, sacred power, sacred knowledge, immortality. Pharaoh was a god, not the only god. The Egyptians believed in all kinds of gods, but Pharaoh was one of them. And Pharaoh, by this point in his life, probably believes he is a god because that's what he's been told since the day he was born, you're a god. So he believes he's god. And he has a responsibility among his people in this kingdom its responsibility is to sort of maintain the harmony in the pantheon of gods. Keep all the gods happy. So for this reason, Pharaoh knows all the gods that matter. He's made this something of his vocation to interact with the gods, to make sure that the gods continue to look with favor upon the Egyptian people so that they have sunshine for the crops and, and water, you understand? I mean, Pharaoh keeps the gods happy. This is his job. And besides, he's one of them. So when Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? You know, it's, it sounds a little smart, Alec, but actually he's speaking from the perspective of somebody who thinks he knows the names of all the gods that matter. And he doesn't know this one. And so since he doesn't know this God, he can't imagine that this is a God that matters. Plus, should we not have to mention that this God is really only worshipped by slaves? So, if this is a God whose only real claim to fame is that he has, you know, a whole bunch of slaves who pray to him, well, then that doesn't say very much for those slaves, and it says even less for their God. This God doesn't seem to be much in Pharaoh's eyes. So, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord, and why should I listen to him? I don't know him, not letting any people go. So, uh, but before we move on, let's just stop. I remind you, these are good questions. And if they're good for Pharaoh, they're good for you. I wish that you would ask these questions with real seriousness. Who is the Lord? I know, some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, we are watching church on a Sunday morning in our house. 
Don't you think we know who the Lord is? And I know, I know. A lot of you are church-going people. A lot of you have been to church somewhere in your life, or some of you have read the Bible, and you're saying, you know, Tim, I don't know a lot, but I think I know who God is. I have this one figured out. But what you haven't really come to understand is these two questions can't be separated. These questions go together. Pharaoh puts them together, but he's actually sounding smarter than he actually is because he doesn't really understand the importance of what he's asking here. Who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? What you have to understand is that to know the Lord is to submit to his authority to command your whole life. To know him is to submit to his authority to command you. So you cannot, on the one hand, say, I know who the Lord is. I know God. I know all about Jesus. You can't say that if you've not reached a point in your life where you have submitted to his authority to command you. You can't say you know him if you don't follow him. You can't say that you follow him if you don't love him. And if you don't love him, then I understand you're not going to obey him. I think Jesus says as much. These questions go together, and they are the questions for your whole life. But I would just have to, have to ask you to consider seriously that if you've not come into an obedience relationship with this God, you don't know this God. To know him, to know him is to surrender. It's to submit. It's to stop resisting him. It is to finally, once and for all, acknowledge that this God is the God of gods, the King above all kings, the Lord of lords, and he has the authority to tell you what to do. He can command your whole life. If you don't believe that, you don't know him. If you don't feel like you have to listen to him, if you don't feel like you're compelled to obey him, you don't know him. You don't know him. So Pharaoh asked the questions, but I, I really actually don't think he's all that serious. Now, it, the text actually gives us a, a really amazing clue to, to the level of Pharaoh's arrogance and, and the level to which he's going to resist God and God's word. Notice what Moses says when he approaches Pharaoh in verse 1. He says, thus says the Lord... Thus says the Lord, that is a sort of a common way for prophets to signify that what they're about to say is not their word, it's God's word. So this is sort of that, that, that kind of prophetic convention that, that lets you know that the word that follows is straight from God and therefore you listen, it has authority. So verse 1, thus says the Lord, but notice what it says in verse 10, what's it say? Thus says Pharaoh. Do you see that? Notice what Pharaoh did there? Pharaoh sort of adds his word, sort of to cancel out God's word. If Moses says, thus says the Lord, Pharaoh says, yeah, yeah, who is he? This is what I say. This is what Pharaoh says. So let me put this up here. I know this is a whole lot of words. You would think that a man who's been preaching for 20-something years could have probably said this better with fewer words, but let's just go with it. When you think you can cancel what God says with what you say, 
You're about to experience the train wreck of coming face to face with the Almighty God. You are on a collision course with the God whose, whose glory and authority will flatten you. Your life is headed for a train wreck. Pharaoh's about to find out, and my goodness, he has no idea what it's going to be like to collide with this God that he's taken on. Now, it's subtle. All he does is just sort of think that he can cancel what God says by just saying what he says. Okay, can I just suggest that that's what you do? Or can I at least pose the question, is that what you do? Like, for example, you, you know what God says. You know what the Word of God says, but you still do your own thing. So it's like, this is what the Lord says, but then this is what you think. And you just go with that as if what you think will cancel what God says. And I'm just warning you, when you believe, you start thinking that you can cancel what God says just by saying what you say, your life is headed for a train wreck. You're going to be on a collision course with a holy God, and he's not going to budge. He's not going to budge for you. Pharaoh says, this is what Pharaoh says. So Pharaoh sends a word down to the people in bondage. You know, one of the things that strikes me in this entire episode is, is the fact that they are the ones that matter. It's their cries that have stirred the heart of God, you know, brought him down to deliver his people. It's, it's their cries. It's, it's their suffering that, that, that breaks the heart of God. This is why he sends Moses. I mean, this is what sets all of this in motion. It's, it's all about these people in bondage, but they got no say in any of this. They don't even have a speaking part. Pharaoh just comes out and says, this is what Pharaoh says. No more straw. Now, I, I know most of us don't know how bricks work, uh, but the, uh, the, 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 Egypt, the Hebrew slaves, their primary job in, in, in Egypt was making mud bricks for construction. They built whole cities with mud bricks. But, but the thing is, if you've ever you know, worked in mud, you'll know that mud has a, uh, it, the, the drier it gets, it tends to crumble and crack. So the important thing was to pack it with straw. The, the straw would hold the brick together. There's literally a, a chemical reaction that happens between the, the straw, the organic matter, and, and, and the clay in the brick. And, and it causes it to harden. It causes it to be strong and lasting. The thing is, you can't make bricks without straw. It's impossible. So Pharaoh says, okay, no more straw because you people are lazy. I, I just stopped there. Um, because that sounds so much like, you know, like an abusive husband, does it not? Or um, if you've ever just known that, that person who loves power over people, this head game that he plays here where, where it's Pharaoh who, who just really enjoys, you know, flattening them with, with the fist of his power and at the same time making them blame themselves for it. You know, it, 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 this is only happening because you're lazy. You know, I don't really want to do this, but, but I got to do this because you're making me do this. I mean, does that not sound like, like, like one of your bosses? Doesn't that sound like the people that you've known? Does it sometimes sound like you? That, that, that power over people for him, is, it, it makes him blind. And at this point, he's no longer even working toward his own best interest. 
I mean, it's his own kingdom. It's his own construction project, and he's only making it harder and worse for himself. But at this point, it's just holding on to the control and the control of people. He loves to control people, and he does it verbally. You're lazy. You're just lazy. And this is what I mean about how bondage works. I mean, when you're told that every day of your life, when you're made to think that the only reason your life is like it is, is because this is what you deserve, I'm telling you, it's very, very difficult to hope for something else. It's very difficult to imagine that you could live free when you've been told your whole life that you're lazy and worthless and and nothing but a slave. Do you understand how bondage works? Because Pharaoh works it here. You're lazy. I don't really want to have to do this, but you're making me do it because apparently I've got all this extra time to think about places to go. So no more straw. Same number of bricks. You're going to have to work harder because I think you need to. You're lazy. That, that's just evil. That, that's simply evil. But, but, but the thing about evil is it, it, it really never gives up without a fight. In Exodus, in Egypt with Pharaoh, and, and in your life, the enemy doesn't give up without a fight. Have you not experienced this? Have you ever gotten to that point where, where, where you wanted to follow the Lord? And you're determined to follow him, to, to obey, you know, to, to give him the authority to command your life and, and to surrender to him and, and all of that. And, and you were ready to, to find the road out and walk into a new life with Christ. Have you never experienced that? And then it's like day one. Like, like the first time you walk into the church or, that, or that, that second day when you're trying to open your Bible and just read it. I mean, all hell breaks loose. It seems like all hell breaks loose because it does. It does. Don't be surprised by that. The enemy never gives up without a fight. He never gives up without a fight. Because every time the Lord Jesus sets people free, understand somebody else losing some slaves and he's not gonna give them up without a fight. He won't give you up without a fight. Man, that's why in your life when you're just sort of going with the flow, When you're just sort of following your own desires, what you think, what you like, what feels good to you, you're just sort of stuck in your habits, stuck in your ways, but they're your ways or your habits, and and you're not necessarily looking for change. I mean, when you just sort of roll like that, the devil leaves you alone because he doesn't have to oppose you. He owns you. It's not until you get a little bit of faith in you, a little bit of hope, It's not until you begin to believe Jesus and take Jesus at his word and think that perhaps it can change, that your life can change, that you can change, that you might have your sins forgiven, that you might have your shame erased, that maybe as it turns out, you're not worthless, but that maybe you are loved and forgiven and maybe just maybe God intends to set you free. You cling to the promise. You step out ready to start new. And I'm telling you, that's when everything goes from bad to worse. It always does. It always will. The enemy never gives up without a fight. Can you just imagine the conversation in the Hebrew quarter of Egypt like the night after this? When Moses walks through, can you imagine what all the people are saying? 
Thank you, Moses. Thank you for that. Thank you for helping us. Please don't help us like that anymore. See, Moses stepped in to try to set them free, and all he did was make everything worse. Everything is worse, much worse. Remember how I've been saying over and over and over that the present situation doesn't define what's possible for God? This is a good moment to think about that. Because in this moment, the present situation goes from bad to worse. In this moment, what looked like a little bit of glimmer of hope gets extinguished like that. Moses walks in and says, thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, who? I don't think I know you. I don't think I know him. I don't have to listen to any of you people. Get back to work. You're lazy. I mean, do you understand? That's not exactly how we were hoping that would go. What you have to understand is that even in a worsening situation, it's getting worse, going from bad to worse, you must not for a moment think that 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 worsening situation defines what's possible for God. You must not even think that even though things are getting worse, that that means that God's still not going to be true to his promise to set you free. Even though things get worse, that does not mean that Moses isn't telling the truth. And it doesn't mean that God is not still going to deliver his people. This present situation looks worse. But guess what? The story's not over yet. God's not finished. The evil one has this this final strategy right before he knows he's beaten. Right before God makes everything much better, he works to make it much worse. Because like I said, um, deliverance is hard. I mean, do you know how bondage works? If the Hebrew slaves could have delivered themselves, they'd have been gone a long time ago. They need a deliverer. Just so you know, they have a deliverer. His name is is not really Moses, his name is the Lord God. It's his promise, it's his power. He's gonna set his people free. What I'm saying to you is that you have a deliverer. It's not you yourself. You're not gonna become the person that you feel like you're supposed to be by just trying to be a better person. You can't do it. Don't you by now understand how bondage works? You're you're a slave to sin. It's not just that you got some bad habits. I mean, that that sin is in you, that that the sin defines you. you. You are a sinner. So am I. I can't change myself. I can't save myself. I need a savior. His name is Jesus. And while maybe for most of your life, you've always sort of given the impression that you're worthless, do you understand that Jesus died for you? He has proven his love for you on the cross, and he has proven his power over everything through his resurrection. He loves you, and he is able to do what he says he will do, and he says that he will give you a brand new life. You can have a road out of this present situation. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. 
I'm just saying it's possible. It's possible. Not as if, you know, the Lord might try and fail. There is no failure in him. He is going to do what he sets out to do. The only thing that's variable here, the only thing that, that we're not sure about so far is, is you. You got to want this. You got to be willing to surrender yourself to this God. I mean, he will absolutely lead you out into a brand new life, but you've got to want that. You got to be ready for the change. You got to be willing to make the change. You're going to have to be willing to surrender everything about you to everything about Him. T to know Him is to surrender yourself to His authority to command your life. By this time, you probably know how bondage works. But I'm inviting you to come to Jesus. Find out how deliverance works. Pray with me. God, my heart is heavy because I know in the sound of my voice that, that, that there are people who know what bondage is. Lord, there are people in the sound of my voice who are in relationships where they feel trapped Lord, there are people in the sound of my voice who are trapped in their habits, in their addictions, in their sin. Lord, there are those who are absolutely chained up by bitterness and angerness and unforgiveness. Oh, God, there are those in, this, in the sound of my voice who are absolutely controlled by anger, by fear. Lord Jesus, we have learned how bondage works, but most of us have very little idea how deliverance works because it's not in us. We can't deliver ourselves. The only thing we can do is continue to live in these chains. Lord God, only you can set us free. So Jesus, we cry out to you. We ask you to reveal yourself to us. Help us to know your grace. Help us to know your power. Help us to know your spirit. Help us to know what it is to be a new person. Only you can do this for us. That's why we call out to you. Lord Jesus, you've proven your love on the cross. You've displayed your power in the resurrection. Now, Lord, keep your promise set us free. Show us the road out. Take us, Lord, to the land you promised. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, but for our own sake. Amen.